Hey, everybody. Uh, this is an episode that Chris and I kind of forgot about. We recorded a month ago, uh, just, just me and him, and we sort of forgot that it existed. And then Chris reminded me at the recording of the next episode that we did, uh, which is kind of ridiculous that I just totally forgot about an episode. So I never edited it and put it together. However, our foolishness is your gain because we got a, an extra cool sponsor that slipped in here at the last minute. So I'm going to tell you about it now because we already recorded the episode and usually we do it in the episode, but now we're doing it at the beginning. Uh, anyway, it's buildbetter.software. Again, that's buildbetter.software. They're so cool. They have a whole different top level domain. Um, buildbetter.software is an app quality, app quality bundle. I want to make sure to pronounce that with the proper uh, emphasis. Uh, this is the ultimate tool set for building better software. Six leading tools for one incredibly low price. Now, it is actually a pretty low price when we look at it. Now, it's got six different services. Some of these you've heard of. Uh, some of them might be new to you, but these are the six services that it has. It's got RunScope API monitoring, which looks kind of interesting. And check, make sure your API is doing everything it's supposed to be doing. Uh, the Ghost Inspector Functional website testing tools, uh, Circle CI continuous integration, Sentry exception tracking, Code Climate automated code review, uh, and the Xamarin Test Cloud for functional mobile app testing. Now, a lot of these things are really kind of hard to do on your own, especially like functional mobile app testing. Super hard to do if you guys build any kind of mobile apps. That is not easy to automate. Uh, and so that sounds really interesting to me. I'd like to just see how that works. Uh, Code Climate, we've got some friends there, uh, and uh, they do good stuff there. Uh, Century, we've used that. I know it before on projects. Looks like a really cool tool. Uh, RunScope, I said, looks really cool. Functional website testing from Ghost Inspector looks real neat. That Circle CI continuous integration. Who doesn't love continuous integration? Anyway. Now, normally this would cost you like 10 grand to subscribe to all these things because, you know, big money, big prizes. But they're going to give it to you for $9.99 for a year, which is kind of crazy. That's like 90% off just about. Uh, now, that's for one year service with all six of those services. So even if you get like a couple of them and you don't use the rest, like, oh, I don't need a mobile app. I don't have that stuff. I don't realize that the web mostly is like... Uh, over mobile now, like over half. Oh, I don't care about that. Um, anyway, which why does that have to do with apps? I don't know. I was just making a stupid comment. Anyway, uh, the uh, even a couple of these would be a pretty good deal at that. So six of them, pretty cool. Uh, again, nine ninety nine for a year of service for a subscription to all six of those. Uh, nine ninety nine. Now the offer ends April 15th, uh, and you should check out the deals because it says available for new paying subscribers only. So if you already have one of these, it may not work out for you, but you should go and check the website for all the details to uh, know that because, you know, I don't, they've got lawyers and we don't, so we don't know what we're talking about. But the important thing is you go to that crazy website and you're going to type build better and then dot, and you're going to be tempted to type in com. Don't type in com. Put in software, buildbetter.software, buildbetter.software. Enjoy the episode. Well, hello, everybody. It's time for another exciting episode of the Development Help Podcast. This is the 58th time Ed and I have gotten together to talk about Sometimes actually talk about things that we agree to beforehand, but most of the time the conversation goes where it wants to go. Uh, I actually haven't really spoken to Ed much today. So, Ed, how are you? Uh, I'm doing okay. Uh, I told you earlier that I have a mouth problem. Yes, but, and I um, made a very vulgar comment as to what could have been causing that mouth problem, but we'll see. I enjoyed that. We'll yeah. save that for the post show. Mm -hmm. Yep. Uh, but no, otherwise, I'm doing pretty okay. Excellent. And before the, also before the, we started recording, I was relating uh, to Ed the story of my weirdly injured um, shoulder and how mm -hmm. I tried to, and how I tried to dodge uh, a bunch of snow that never uh, showed up when I, because uh, I was in Detroit on the weekend to watch some University of Michigan um, hockey. I had a good time, but I was getting nervous about having to drive home 250 miles in a snowstorm. So I took off at like quarter after nine. Oh, and I also got grilled at the border by the border crossing person. Um, like I was there, like normally it's pretty quick, but I was there like five minutes with this guy asking me like a zillion questions. And like, yeah, like questions like, 
really? You didn't buy anything? I'm like, no. Like, how long have you been gone? Well, just like right around, I don't know. I came over at like 11 o'clock on mm-hmm. Friday night. He's like, type something into the computer. Ask me again, you sure you didn't bring anything back? I'm like, yeah, I'm pretty sure. I was like, have you been drinking? No. Are you sure? <laughs> I said, what kind of, I'm thinking, what kind of question is that to ask me? I'm like, no, I generally don't have anything to drink when I'm going to drive three hours trying to dodge a snowstorm coming from Illinois. But hey, any other questions? And so like, I, and I almost regretted saying that last part because I thought, oh, that's it. Now you're going to get pulled over for the secondary inspection. So he's just like handed me my card back and said, uh, uh, have a good drive back because he's like grilling me. I think he like looked up where I. I think he looked up where I live. He's like, oh, what street do you live on? But oh, well, I used to live on. And he pauses to look at something. Bennett, I'm thinking, I'm thinking, you mu- are you like looking on a map and trying to figure out where I live or something? It was just, it was one of the more surreal border mm. crossing stories that I've had. Of course, I was That's weird. I was mad too because at that border crossing they closed the the Nexus Lane at nine o'clock, so I don't get my little special treatment. So that's probably what happened. Oh, that's probably what happened. I, had, I was, I was uh, thinking I was probably putting off the why do I have to go through the peasants vibe when I was going through yeah. the border crossing. What am I, a farmer? That's right. Yeah. Dude, isn't this card just say you're just supposed to wave me through without any <laughs> yeah. goddamn questions? Yeah, yeah. I have like people that. skills, so the engineers don't have to talk to people. Yeah, it's like the card that lets you into the alien bunkers, and they live. That's right. Yeah. It's almost the same size, but the picture's a little different. Yeah, yeah, similar. So tonight we have a we're going to have not as long a normal show because Ed is a big baby and needs to sleep yep. today for mm-hmm. a variety mm-hmm. of reasons. I'm on call. He's uh, he's allegedly on call, whatever that means at his job. So uh, let's. Th- as always, let's get things started. Uh, Ed, you want to talk about the sponsors? And I'm going to time you because Paul Reinheimer accused us accused of uh, accused us of taking too much time. So go. I'm not sure he said we took too much time. Well, I he said, think well, he, well, he said, said nine minutes. He said nine minutes, and and I, well, I'm, I'm assuming he thinks it thinks it's excessive. So I'm going to start. That's, so hold on, I'm going to start timing. Hold on. Right. Three, two, one, go. All right. So uh, our first sponsor is Wonder Network. We wrote Wonder Networks down in the notes, but it's actually just one network. And um, they're the kings of telling you how long you took to talk about them last time and maybe being upset about some of the stuff I said about them. I don't know. We'll see. Anyway, uh, they have good stuff with things, and they give us bandwidth, and we use it to stream out so that people in a usually single and maybe sometimes double digits listen to this while we're recording it. And then also they have things that will take pictures of your website from various locations. I think what it means is like they will like they'll put a, com- a computer and they take one they have like five computers and then they have five people. And these five people with these five computers fly around the world and they take a picture of the computer with your website up on it and they take it in different places and then you come back and you can they give you the pictures and you can tell your friends about the trip that your computer went on so that's wonder network and then the other one is uh rove um last i remember uh i don't really i don't remember what was going on last time we talked about them but I know what's going on right now is that um, they uh, have the Rove Foundation, um, which is a thing. Uh, it's uh, it's kind of like this uh, TV show, uh, if you remember Funhouse, I think it was called. That was uh, back in the day. And the kids would compete running through an obstacle course and this is so this is what they're doing is they're 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 they you, you run through an obstacle course and have like goo dumped on you and stuff like that and if you get to the end you win like a 250 dollars gift certificate and uh the Roe foundation uh is a scholarship for uh children who uh otherwise would not be able to attend tapings of this show and uh, that's what they're doing today uh, with all the money that they made in the Amber Monitor market. And uh, just to add an addendum to that, uh, in addition to the scholarship, we're going to be giving each uh, lucky finalist a Bitcoin. Oh, that's nice. One Bitcoin. One Bitcoin, yep. Mm-hmm. Um, which I believe is worth 33 rubles. 
Um, you know, it fluctuates up and down depending on uh, the amount of oil flowing out of the Caspian Sea. But, right. you know. Yeah, what are you going to do? So, um, you got that going on. And then, uh, I guess. Uh, I also should mention that these Bitcoins actually come out of Gary Hawkins' uh, own pocket. He's very generously donating them to to the foundation. Yeah, he has a, he has a lot of Bitcoins. They're just like stuck in his uh, closet because, you know, he's been skimming off the top for a while. And uh, he's like, I got too many. I can't fit them in there. When he opens up the closet, everything falls out like one of those wacky sitcoms. And so he's like, somebody's got to take care of this for me. Let's give them to the kids. So that's uh, what they're doing. And then also, I guess they help people go to like PHP conferences. Yeah, that's a little side thing. That's like an offshoot of the advertising money from the, from the uh, televised runs of the foundation. Um, As an addendum to, that's twice I've used that word. Uh, An an addendum, addendum. Addendum. So another thing we need to talk about really quick is that I promised uh, on Twitter uh, earlier that we will be giving away copies of uh, Cal Evans project uh, wisdom of the elephant to which I was a contributor. So when we're done, oh, yes. when we're done here, um, Ed is going to pick uh, five random names, five random email addresses from our dev hill mailing list. So if you're not on it, suckers, you're not getting one of these. And then Ed's going to pass them to me. And then I'm going to write a really intimidating email to these people demanding a bunch of personal information in exchange for, mm-hmm. in exchange for a free book. No, that seems reasonable. Um, I think in today's day and age where everyone, everything is free and, and you are the product, I think that's more than fair that I'm going to be able to spam the living hell out of them in exchange for a book that cost me a dollar. So yep, let's get on with the show. So what we wanted to talk about today, since we have no guest, is we want to talk about side projects a little bit. So uh, normally I'm the one going on and on about my side projects, but today we're going to let yep. Ed talk about it first and we're just going to kind of flip things and alternate. And then we're going to talk about, uh, after we talked about that stuff, we're going to talk about some, uh, dev hell swag that we have, and then that should wrap the show up. So buckle up, Dorothy, Kansas is about to go bye-bye. Buckle up. All right. Uh, well, the, the, I guess the thing I've been working on for a little while has been this thing, um, called, C- I'm calling it. This is just terrible. This is because I'm such a great marketer. CBT tool, which is a terrible, terrible name. Just awful. It should have some name like I anxiety assistant or something like that. Um, but no, I didn't. I'm just terrible at coming up with things because the only way I can uh, market things is just make plainly state like what it does. And uh, that's it. I was just surprised that, like, because I looked at it, because you sent a link to me for the repo, I was just really surprised it, it didn't say, uh, I am crazy and so can you. I was thinking that was going to oh, be there. Yeah, but, that but you should write, good... that's, that's a little a marketing freebie for you there. That's a, hey. But uh, CBTT, Cognitive Behavior Therapy Tool. Yeah, right. So, so, so right. Uh, and I do have actually a bit of a personal interest in this since my, uh, since my oldest daughter is using some cognitive therapy to help her deal with some of her anxiety issues. But, um, go on and talk some more, Ed. Tell us about why you did this and what you're hoping to accomplish with it. Well, so, you know, I have a generalized anxiety disorder. And so I've been working with a therapist for several months now who works in cognitive behavior therapy. And there's a, there's sort of this process that you can go through and, and different people sort of do it differently. And there's semantics about like what you call things and the order you do stuff in and stuff like that. So there's all sorts of little different takes on it and things like that. But the basic idea is that you sort of break down um, your thought process surrounding an event uh, into three different sections. And the first one, uh, so it's all, again, it's all around like an event that's sort of a trigger event. And then uh, you break that down into what were your thoughts that are surrounding that event? And then what were the emotions that came about based on those thoughts? And then what were the actions that you took based on those emotions? And um, uh you basically write that stuff out like, okay, what was the event? What were the thoughts you had? What were the emotions that you had? And what was the action that you took? And then there's a step where you sort of examine it critically and you say, okay, so, uh, was, you know, was my, was this, you know, was my thinking accurate about this? Right. So, 
Uh, now I'm going to go look at it because I'm trying to remember. Clearly, I'm not a professional. <laughs> well, you say, are my thoughts accurate about it? Like, was my assessment of it at that point, was that an accurate assessment of it? Or were your thoughts helpful? Like, were they helpful in that situation or were they not helpful? And, and what could I have done that would have been a more accurate or positive or helpful kind of thing to say to myself, right? And, and how would I feel if I told myself that? That's how I broke that down. And I really... Um, and then there's this idea of thinking mistakes that you have, and 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 th- it sort of categorizes. And some, there's not like an official list, um, but there's it's usually if you look up it, like lists of thinking mistakes that people make, there's usually between eight and twelve, and they're mostly the same kinds of things that you'll see. The things like catastrophizing, which is like making something into a much bigger like it's oh it's is just that all going to go hard. Uh, I I guess catastrophizing. So. Sure, let's say it is. Um, uh, mind reading, which is a thing where no, you do not actually. You're, one of the cool things would be that if you could read minds, if you had an anxiety disorder. But, oh yeah, that would make it so much better. Wouldn't it? Yeah, it would be great. Um, but uh, mind reading is a thing that well, lots of us. I mean, we do this all the time where we uh, we make assumptions about what somebody is thinking based on what they say. Right. And the tendency of, of a person who maybe is dealing with anxiety disorder is to, is to assume that they are thinking more negatively than they may necessarily be doing. Um, overgeneralizing about things like, Oh, it's always like this or it's never like this or black and white thinking, which is like, it either has to be X or Y and there can't be any sort of like in between or, you know, things like that. So, you sort of have these these kinds of things, and you sort of demark like, okay, so what? One of these thinking mistakes did this kind of happen here? Uh, and so you, the idea again is to is to map out like sort of well, what what was the event, and what were my thoughts, feelings, and actions around, surrounding that event, and then basically to challenge that and say, okay, well, was that accurate? And what is something I could have done differently or thought about? You know, what could I have said to my self if I had just stopped and said I was an outside person and talking to myself about it. So you see these kinds of like exercises all the time. This is a big part of cognitive behavior therapy is that's basically a a major part of it. Right. And uh, I'm just going to say that it sounds like when you're uh, doing this sort of thing that it requires you to be um, very honest in your feelings and your thoughts about what's going on and what you were feeling. Cause it sounds to me like if you're, if you're talking about, um, what triggered your, and like we look at anxiety for for example, right? What triggered the anxiety? Right. Uh, you know, when did you start to feel stressed about what do you think you could have done better? It seems to me if, if you're the type of person who has a hard time, um, like verbalizing about what's bothering you, that you may have a really hard time making cognitive behavior therapy work for you. Yeah, maybe. I think that, um, you know, I think I'm kind of better at that. So that helps. Um, I think that's one of the reasons you work with a therapist to try to kind of do that. But yeah, you do have to be pretty honest about it and you have to, and and that's why you do it with somebody too. So you have somebody on the outside who can kind of talk to you about it and and talk you through that. And, you know, actually is a professional and knows what things to say. Unlike me where I'm just like, you know, winging this shit. But, um, I mean that, so anyway, that's the basic idea is you start, is you break down your process, your thought processes and you see these patterns. I mean, if you do a few of them, you start seeing these patterns that keep happening. Right. And then I, you know, and so the worksheets are helpful uh, to do this exercise is helpful. And it's oftentimes you see it put in a worksheet, like a printable worksheet. Um, and there's a lot of use in just doing it, like not necessarily recording it and getting information out of that, like in aggregating that data and stuff like that, but just the process of doing it, I think is really helpful. It oftentimes helps me feel better about a situation or things like that. Um, but what I found was that I wasn't really doing the exercises very much, even though my therapist was like, yeah, you should do that. And I was kind of like, eh, I always had some reason not to do it. And a lot of it had to do with just accessibility of it. And I was like, well, what am I going to do? Like print out 50 of these sheets and carry them around with me. And that didn't seem great. And, um, I wanted, uh, and you know, my tendency is to type things out instead of, uh, instead of handwriting. So that's kind of different. I wanted something like that. And so then I was looking at like an iOS tool, like for my iPhone or something like that. 
And the thing with that is there's actually a, a, a number of applications in this, in the a- Apple App Store that have, that are for different cognitive behavior therapy stuff, but, and they do lots of things. Um, but the issue kind of with them is that the model, the exact model that I was doing with my therapist, I couldn't really tell if like the things that I was looking at necessarily did that. And it wasn't, individually they weren't expensive it was like between three and five dollars each one of them but it was going to be the case where i felt like i was going to end up buying like five of these things and i was afraid that none of them would would follow the model exactly that i was supposed to do right right so because the the, it is different like different people have different exercises with this stuff and they sort of have different semantics for how they organize things and they call things different names and you know so Anyway, um, so I was like, well, this is dumb. So how do I solve this problem uh, in the uh, least efficient way possible? I will build it myself. <laughs> um, and that's, that's what I did. So I, I really what I did was I made first just an, a little just an HTML form. Um, so just a web page that was just HTML, JavaScript, CSS, and it didn't have any backend stuff in it or anything like that, but it was just something I could fill out and I actually use it a couple of times, but it was useful again, just from filling it out was a useful exercise, right? Because it got me to write down and to sort of work through that process of like writing down each step and then thinking, okay, you know, what, what was this correct? Was, was I accurate? Were the, was, was my thinking helpful? You know, did I make a thinking mistake? What could I have said to myself that would have been more helpful or positive or productive? Da, 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 da. And uh, so just writing that stuff out was useful. Um, but uh, I wanted to do a little bit more than that because it didn't record anything. And so... Uh, that was not as useful um, because then I was like, I wanted to print it out. And uh, I think I printed it a PDF like a couple times because that was the only way I had to print it out. Like to get a copy of it was just like, oh, I'll just print the page out with the words in the form, right? Um, and uh, that's how high tech I was getting. Um, but then, so uh, I said, okay, well, I'll do the rest. And so the idea I kind of came up with was, well, I want to save it. And then what's the bare minimum thing I could do that you could access it later? And so I have it save it into a, an SQLite database and then just uh, it generates like a hash each time it saves one of them, like a unique hash. And then it just makes a URL out of that. So you can just go back to the URL and it'll pull the record out of the database and display it to you. So that way... In theory, other people could use it too, but there's no like identifying information tied to it. Um, of course, I mean, there's like the logs and the web server and stuff like that. So I have like an IP address, um, but it doesn't like it doesn't do any login stuff or things like that. But uh, I actually spent like um, uh, I don't know, probably a day and a half, full day and a half of work on it. Um, because I wanted to kind of do it right because I was thinking to myself, this might be kind of a cool open source project. So I was thinking, okay, I don't want to half-ass this stuff. I sort of want to do it the right way. So it was like, okay, I guess I have to like, write, should write some tests out for it and everything I'm doing. I should at least have some kind of testing for it. And like, how do I do my configuration files and directly at, because of course I refuse to use a framework that would tell me how to do all this stuff. I have to do it all myself because I'm just that kind of dickhead. And, uh, but it was, it was a good exercise and I haven't, I haven't actually built anything like that for probably like a year. Um, I just haven't had much, I haven't had reason to, and in my current job, I don't have like any kind of, we call it a greenfield project like that, where I could start from scratch. And, uh, so that was kind of nice. Um, and, uh, I got like, I got all like a real professional. I got like database migrations in it and it run unit testing stuff and things. It's pretty fancy. So I felt special about that anyway. um, So, you know, I don't know exactly what I'll do with it, um, but I think it's an interesting 
So I think there's a couple of things that are interesting. Was the first thing was it was like, well, I didn't like anything that was out there, so I sort of built my own thing, and I wanted to make sure that it worked on the desktop and mobile. So I used like a I used Foundation, which is a a front end framework, a little bit like Bootstrap. Yeah, I think I'm familiar with it. Yeah, a little less opinionated than Bootstrap, I guess I'd say. Zerb Foundation, as yep, it used Zerb to be called. I don't know if it's still called that or not, but yeah, because yeah. Zerb is the company that makes it. Right. Um, and then, um, so one nice thing you get out of it is you sort of get responsiveness for free out of that, right? So it it sort of works out of the box on mobile. So I can use it on a mobile device if I want to, and I could like dictate into the form fields and stuff like that with voice. If I, I don't like actually typing on a phone a whole lot, but it'll work. So I can take it with me wherever I want to. I know my stuff gets saved. You know, it's useful. It's it's so it's, it's kind of a useful tool for myself. Um, and I want to make it open source and right, you know, right now I guess somebody could take it and like run their own instance of it. You know, I'm just running it on my domain, but anybody could just run their own instance of it and they could run it locally and go through the stuff like that. Um, I'm sort of have mixed feelings about like a sort of an obvious step would be like, Oh, well make user accounts and then people have to log in or record their stuff and things like that. The problem with that is, Am I then collecting like medical information about people? <laughs> and there's lots of regulations about it. And also, I just was like, that's a lot of work. Like, and there's a lot of trust you end up putting in somebody based on that. Like, if, what if I ran that and like I ran it as a service and people start using it, right? That's a lot of trust that people are putting in me. And I, you know, there's that's a whole different thing than just like something I came together with and wrote over a weekend. You know what I mean? Mm hmm. So I, I want to be careful about that a little bit, but I think there's interesting things that you could do with that. But I, I think even of itself, just this, I think it's useful even in of itself, just as a, this is an electronic worksheet, basically, I can, I can work through and it saves a copy of it so I can access it later. And yeah, so... I sort of view it right now as a little bit like the stuff like Pirate Pad or like, you know, other like, like, you know, paste services where it's like, well, somebody can use it if they want to and they want to write stuff down in it. That's fine. But I, you know, I'm not going to track it and stuff like that. I still need to write up also like a privacy policy and things like that on it and tell people like what I am and I am and I'm not going to you do with it. But uh, anyway, that's kind of what's going on with it. So I'm not, I think it, the other thing that was interesting was like I identified a place. There's a lot of things that technology does not, is not good at. <laughs> um, and uh, I think oftentimes as developers, we want to think that technology will like, like, like programming will solve this problem or that problem. And a lot of times it really won't. It doesn't have anything to do with that. Programming can't solve those problems because they're people problems, not um you know, not algorithmic problems, but I think that this is an area where I, it was kind of cool where I was like, yes, this would actually be a good place to do that because it would make these, this, this stuff a little more accessible to people. Um, and so I think that's a, that's a helpful thing. Uh, and, and, and a place where people can do good work in that. So it was a place where, you know, kind of the skills that I had were applicable, not only just to help myself, but I think probably for other people too. I hope it will be. So, yeah. Uh, so yeah, if you really want to look at it, um, there'll be a link in the show notes. There'll be a link in the show notes. So you're not, you can't know about it if you're listening live yeah. until, uh, it uh is is up there. I'm well, well, until, you put, until you put some real tests in there, you should probably shouldn't uh, shouldn't bother sharing that link. I put a couple tests in there. Are we really going to get into this, Ed? You didn't like those tests. I didn't like those tests because they were totally inadequate. No, they were inadequate. Yes, I know. So yes, absolutely. But we true. did talk about a potential way to fix it. I gave you a slightly. I gave you a slightly oh, yeah. different. I gave you a slightly different strategy for approaching that particular test. Oh yeah, and it made a lot of sense. It was a little bit different because that that data is pre-filled, so mm -hmm. it's kind of like well, it's determined. But but yes, what you described was a much better test, and I would one hundred percent agree. Uh, it's a. It was one of those things where I was like, I want to have a test. So that Chris doesn't yell at me more than he's going to yep. already, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah, that was exactly it. Yeah. <laughs> I don't want to let you down completely. I was happy, though, that, you, that I mean, I know I joked about this the first time me were ever cared about whether I was happy about something. Um, <laughs> but but it was, uh, 
it was good to see that you at least gave it some um, some thought. And, and though, although, like, I could look at some of that stuff and think that maybe some of those tests are, are I don't think naive is the right word, but more like maybe some of the stuff is um, uh, not really worth testing. Like, okay, let's take an example, right? You have yeah, a sure. Because before I get into my little side thing. So, for example, and this is kind of about, I've, I've been thinking about trying to write a conference talk about about testing smells, about like anti-patterns inside tests, because Lord right, knows I've yeah. seen enough tests sure. that sometimes look at stuff and goes, that's just a horrible way to do the test. Mm-hmm. But, you know, that one test that you wrote was, which which was verifying that a method that you wrote to return every single record was correctly returning them, right? Mm-hmm. Yep. So you kind of look at that and say, I mean, unless you're doing some sort of transformation of the data when you grab it from whatever data source it's in, like whether you're using, I, I know you mentioned using um, uh, SQL Lite because that was your SQL Lite. I don't even is it is it SQL Lite? Um, whatever it is, um, mm, I don't know. What however it's pronounced, or another database writing tests to verify that your that the your programming language of choice, um, programming choice. Uh, you know, can connect to databases. It probably isn't something that's worth worrying, you know, spending a lot of time on. So I kind of looked at that. I didn't even look at the code, but I could have looked at it and, and said, right. and said, well, you know, we should be doing, really be doing something like um, testing the to transfer. Like, here's a good example. Say you, because uh, I've done this in other codes. Say you're using one of my personal favorite design patterns for doing stuff with databases using the data mapper pattern. Um, for those who are listening, who aren't familiar with it, the data mapper pattern is the idea that you'll do a database query, uh, generally with relational databases, and that every row mm-hmm. or record, I guess, if you were using a non-relational one, every record that you get would be represented by an object. Yep. So, you know, if you have a bunch of users and you're writing a method, I want to get all the users uh, in the table in my database, you would get back a collection of objects. So yep. I don't know how your code works internally, but this would be a good case of as a precondition, you would have a database and you would seed it with a bunch of known information. Then, you know, yep. as part of the transformation process, it should turn this result set from a database into the following collection of objects. And then your and then your test is is pretty accurate in terms of making sure that given a known set of records, I should get back this collection of objects um every single time. So Yep. Yeah. I mean I there's a, there's some stuff that's still tested like does the database is like the access to the database broken? or not, or, you know, things like that. And does it have the fields that I expect it to have? But it's true that it could be all those fields are just, like, empty strings. Yeah. You know, I I don't know that with the test that I had right there. So, again, it was a matter of, like, "Mm, I need to have something here. But I I knew that it was very much not, these were not complete. And it's not complete. But you got to start there, at least. I mean, you're miles ahead of many other people who are doing stuff uh, and and don't have any tests at all. But, but yeah, just, I, I didn't, I know people are going to think I'm picking on you, but it's not me picking on. It's just me just pointing out, uh, trying to teach you some strategies. Because this is what I spent. This is what I spent a lot of time. Because I've started mentoring people again, so I've been. It's been good because it's been forcing me to like go several steps back and think about okay, if I don't know anything, or if I know just a tiny bit about this whole testing stuff, and I'm having to write my own test without somebody holding my hand and being there with me, what are the things that I need to know? So I just thought I wanted to point out that for that particular test, anyway, that um, there was a better. There's probably a better strategy for oh um, yeah writing an, an effective test because of course you want to get code coverage up there and all those other things too but, but and that's that's how we have done it in the past i just haven't had you know i just again didn't it was one of those things where i didn't want to get hung up on that aspect and not have a like i really wanted to have something that actually functioned the way i wanted it to sure so and I knew that if I spent too much time on it, I would get burned out and not do it. Absolutely. So it, it was. Re- so that was sort of the balance I was striking because. So I was. I was actually pretty conscious of like, well, yeah, but I'm not testing for this and I'm not testing for that. And it, it, types are hard. Like I would be testing for like, well, is this a type that you expect to get back? But SQLite stores everything as strings, so it's going to be a string no matter what. Um, now, presumably, and, and my code isn't doing any kind of transforms on that or anything like that. Uh, like, say, takes the ID and turns it, like the, the, or the primary key generated ID and turns it back into an integer when it ends up back in PHP land. Um, 
But uh, were I writing comprehensive tests and I was doing things like that, I would be test. You have to test the types too. I think so because if you get it, you know, if you expect to get back uh, an integer and you're getting back a string, weird stuff's going to happen. So you know, things like that. Right. Well, I mean, you're on the right track, and like, I will be happy to. Thanks, buddy. I will be happy to uh, answer your questions and and help you craft a very nicely effective test suite for your application. All right, so we talked about Ed's little side project. So, and I see that Mr. Reinheimer has joined us in IRC. Hello, Paul. I know he's not listening anyway, so whatever. Um, no, so, I think he is. He oh, was is he actually listening? Here. Okay, yeah. well, hi. Hi, Paul. Hope things are going good. Uh, so, but we can talk about it. But now, I wanted to talk about my side project, but not necessarily what it is. I just wanted to talk about, and this is a problem that a lot of people um, have difficulties coping with. When your side project um, doesn't go the way that you wanted it to. So as many right. people know, um, I've been working on my latest book and um, I'm writing a book about how to use uh, HHVM and hack with leg- legacy code bases. So when I first started doing the research for this book, um, I was, you know, started watching what people were saying on Twitter and doing some research and looking at the documentation and, and doing searches online and looking what kind of questions people were asking. And I had in my mind a much different book. And what I ended up doing, um, I was convinced that there was a lot more material that I would be able to generate more material. And then when I first, when I did the first pass of the book, it was like, man, this is only, even though there's some good examples, this is only 32 pages. This is, this is not what I, not what I thought it was going to be. Um, and so after, after the other day, when I gave myself a Twitter timeout, cause I was mad about a bazillion things, the book was part of it. And so I just decided to, I don't want to use the startup-y term because maybe it is a pivot, but I just looked at it and say, well, and I guess the scope of the book is not going to be what I thought it was. And I have a few other things I need to do where I want to clean it up and add a little bit more, but it's looking like it's going to be a pretty small book and I will probably market it that way and have a title poking fun in it, like, you know, the grumpy little book of hack and HHVM or something like that. And just kind of turn turn what could have been a net negative if if I was being like really hard on myself about about it into a positive. I mean, most people that know me actually know that um, the only person whose comments hurt me the most about stuff that I've done are the ones I tell to myself because I really am my own um, harshest critic. I, don't, I mean, I don't know, maybe some people have picked up on that. What other people say to me usually doesn't bother me very much, but... Um, but when I do something and then I take a nice critical look at it, um, the worst comments and mean things I usually save to tell myself. So side projects are kind of a weird thing. Um, I mean, I know you did you did yours because um, there was nothing out there that you felt uh, combined everything that you wanted it, wanted to have. Like you wanted a web accessible, you want to be able to type things out. You're like, I don't want to print out all these sheets and then take it with me and then be, you know, sitting on a train somewhere, rocking back and forth while you're trying to fill this thing out because you're stressed as hell about what's going on in your day. So, um, so you're doing something for yourself. And same thing, I did this book, but, you know, I set aside a bunch of time and I was very methodical about what I was doing. And just in the end, I was kind of like, huh, I guess this thing didn't turn out to be what I thought it was going to be. So, um, initially disappointed, sure, that I thought it was going to be much bigger. Because again, if we're going to be honest and mercenary about it, a smaller book means less money. And, you know, that wasn't my intention. I was hoping to provide a book that would generate lots of money. But I have some ideas to do some other things to try to make up the shortfall. But um, when when it comes to creating products, sometimes, uh, you know, there's a thing I also learned from playing Magic is that um, you can either be results-oriented or you can be or you can be um, process-oriented, right? So either you can look at it and be mad every single time the that the results aren't what you want. And then, but if you get like that, sometimes you're not taking um, a critical look at the process that led to those results. So in my case with the book, it's like, well, I did the things right. I did my research. I looked at the existing material. I identified a spot where there was a gap where I had I had not seen anybody talking about anything to do with this particular topic. Um, now, whether that's because there's part of it, is it might be that no one's interested in it yet uh, and, and interested in writing about it. So I feel like I kind of have like a, like a first mover's advantage. I'll be the first one. I haven't seen any other books. Maybe someone's going to beat me to it if they can get it done in the next month. 
Um, cause that's, I have this, my birthday's on the 24th of March. So I'm planning to have the book done by then as a kind of birthday present to myself, I guess, executing and getting it done. But you know, uh, the, I did my process right. I did everything right. I did the research. I identified a niche. I identified that nobody else was serving it correctly. I did a bunch of research. I found problems. I'm doing the my whole marketing thing, dream, problem, solution. It's all looking good. I still have to write the landing page and some material for it. Um, but the result wasn't the the like the size of what I was working on turned out not to be what I thought it was going to be, mm-hmm. which is kind of weird. Um, but like I said, I have an idea to do something else that will hopefully, um, hopefully generate some of the make up for some of the downfall. Cause I know I do have a car that I would like to have paid for by the summer. So fingers crossed that everything works. Okay. I mean, I know people don't like hearing them. I know so many people are really, really, really weird about money. Um, mm-hmm. I don't know. Is that, is that like, what is that? Is that, is that part of the whole Protestant work ethic? Be super modest about everything you've done, and or yes, or yes, is, it is. is that what it is? Oh, well, I, I think so. Yeah. Well, I always thought that was dumb. It's like if people ask me, I'm more than happy to tell them, if only to show them that look, I did these things, and there's no reason why you probably can't figure it out too. But, um, but yeah, so just like about expectations for side projects. I mean, the difference is that your thing that you're doing on the side, um, sort of started off as just something for yourself. And if other people end up using it, that's kind of a bonus, right? Mm-hmm, right? So in my case, it's like I did this thing expecting it, expecting it, the end result to be something quite different and the gone through the process. And now I'm looking at the results. I'm like, yeah, this isn't just somewhere along the line as part of my process, even though I kind of did everything <clears throat> right. Um, somewhere along the line, um, I got a little bit disconnected from uh, how much, how, how you know the scope of this thing. Because there's, I looked at it and said, my intent wasn't to do like a comprehensive guide to using Hack and HHVM. Because uh, I don't know, people talk to me about some of my other books. Like, oh, I was expecting this big like 250 page thing or 300 page reference book. I'm like, dude, if you think I can crank out a 300 page book in 100 hours of my side time, you're crazy. That's that's like three pages an hour plus edi- crazy plus editing and all that other stuff. So, um, so I, I went for a targeted book and the book ended up smaller, but um, I'm hoping people will find it helpful and I hope it makes a little bit extra money. Cause man, I sure would like to get that car paid off. So, so uh, yeah, so process versus results. I think um, generally speaking um, North American society and much of, I guess much of Western society, capitalistic driven society is very results oriented it's all about what the mm-hmm. final outcome is um but uh but many times that i've had these conversations with my kids too is that you know the process of getting that result is important too and sometimes you did everything correctly as part of the process but you just and you just don't end up with the final result for reasons of um oftentimes it's just for reasons of variance i mean again to drag the uh the magic analogy there's enough randomness in the game itself that sometimes you can do, sometimes you can do everything right and still lose right? because the other person had whatever they needed at that moment to win, um, to win the match. So um, I encourage, I encourage people who are thinking about uh, how they approach any project side things, but even work, it can be a subtle shift in your attitude that if you're confident that your process for trying to achieve the end result is correct that you're actually appro- that you're actually approaching solving this problem in a correct way that you shouldn't feel bad if you don't get the outcome that you wanted because understanding the process that leads to success is often way more important than the success because people can can luck into success. I had a, I had a very interesting conversation with um, with Jeffrey Way from Laracast on Twitter sometime last week, um, mm-hmm. where it kind of it showed that that Jeffrey and I are at are at opposite ends of of this idea of of um, I you know uh, the concept of what leads to success in a product. I'm very much a proponent of. Um, do your research and be a hundred percent sure people are lined up to give you money before you do anything. Right. And Jeffrey was taking objection to the idea of doing research and like things like AB testing and, and looking at what people are doing and trying to predict and that, you know, he trusts his gut. And um, I, I asked Jeffrey a very pointed question about like, you know, when he started Laracast, he said he just did it as a, he just did it on instinct Mm-hmm. And and my opinion was, well, I guess you got lucky. 
And sure, right. and I and I think that probably I I I mean I don't know his actual reaction because this is a Twitter based thing, but I mean I don't know how you would feel if someone says this thing that you've done that's led to great success, it only worked because you got lucky. And I think people again want to discount the role of luck um, in in success. Um, right. I mean, both my books. I the first one I did some research. But the second one, the PHP one, I correctly identified that nobody was presenting material uh, the way that I was in the form in the format that I was doing. So mm-hmm. that there was a demand; people wanted to know how do I use PHP Unit to accomplish this specific task, and nobody was collecting that information. So I did, and I wrote it, and it's been very, very successful. And you know, people are saying like they trust. Like he said, I don't understand why you would why you would trust your years of experience as a programmer. Um, why you wouldn't trust that over research. And I mean, my thing was that um, everyone has their own biases and blind spots about things. It's like, I had an inkling, like you talk about the test evangelism thing. Was testing needed in the, in our programming community? Absolutely. But there was a good way, you know, there, there was like good ways and bad ways to mm-hmm. like present that information to people. And I did research to make sure I was finding um, good ways of doing it. It's like uh, I could, you know, the books that I did know stuff, they could have been very, very different. And I found out very, very quickly in things that I did where I kind of half-assed it and didn't put the effort into it that I didn't follow the process correctly, that the results were suboptimal. Like things like certain blog posts and videos that I did, I could tell right away, yep, Chris, you blew this because the response to them and the type of comments were totally different from the ones that it mm. worked. Um, uh, trusting your gut um, isn't I mean? Isn't always a good way to do it. Yes, you can get lucky, and and Jeffrey has done a very very good job of providing high quality content with Laracast. Laracast has worked. It has worked for him. I believe it's his sole business, and this is what he does to put uh you know to put money in his bank account. But um you know like I asked him, so what would you have attributed to if Laracast uh, hadn't worked? He said he would have felt that he hadn't executed properly, and and I felt that that was actually a nonsense answer, and that that the the execution might have not been the problem at all. It could have been, you know, you know, what if there wasn't a, a big enough critical mass of Laracast developers to who wanted screencasts? I mean, there's all these right. other external factors that could have contributed to Laracast not working, and just to chalk it all up, well, I just didn't execute properly. I just, I just think that's, I, I just think that's just not right, and 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 it's it's willfully ignoring a whole bunch of other factors and showing a lot of, um, a lot of. I, I provided a link to him about um, survivor um, bias, where if you only ever talk about and show the successes, then you discount all the times people uh, followed their gut, and they worked really hard, and shit didn't work. And that it mm-hmm. flopped, and their business went under. And again, sometimes those failures are not not because the person didn't work hard, not because the person didn't have the you know didn't have you know didn't have the process down. But it's just like it just didn't work. And sometimes things just don't work. And sometimes there's nobody to blame for it. And sometimes it's like it it just didn't work. It didn't resonate. You picked the wrong niche or whatever. But just. I, I think saying I think saying that oh I would never trust research I go with my gut is just you're setting yourself up for a spectacular failure at some point and the research to me is is a way of like again making sure that before you put any effort into something um, you know people are ready to give you money in exchange for I mean right right I, you I, know yeah. startup history startups are everywhere that fail because people had a hunch about something and they had no clue whether anyone really wanted this thing. And I would tend to think, and I'm staring at my hand right now, the number of people could, who could actually generate interest in something that didn't exist before. Um, an idea that, that they didn't know that they wanted. I got to be able to count on one hand, the number of people that would, could actually pull this off. They just think up something out of their head and then they generate a demand for it. For most people, the, the successful things, they're filling a niche that's there that you could find if you just spent the time and did a little research. But I mean, I just look at it and think, I think it's very dismissive and hand wavy to say that I'm just going to trust my gut and saying things like, how can, how can, why would I take research over my years of experience? Cause I, I look at it and say, because my years of experience have given me a, a, a weird set of prejudices and blind spots. And I would prefer to like slice through all that shit by doing some actual research and actually know what problems people have and what questions they're asking. And just, instead of just assuming 
I know better just simply because I've been doing it for a long time. Yeah, no, I, I'm, I'm pretty much on your side on that. I think that, uh, you know, uh, I think you're, it's really awesome when your, um, intuition matches up with what people want to buy, but I don't think that works that way for the vast majority of people. Like Steve jobs was never a trained designer, but he did have like a design sense and it happened to be a, a sense that, uh, along with some other skills that he had worked out in terms of being able to make products that people wanted to buy. Um, some people wanted to buy, uh, they got, they did like a really, really, really good job with the iPod and that's why the company is so big. Uh, but it's not, uh, you know, they kind of ran with that. Um, but they, you know, never really got to a point where computers were like a huge, like they were like a massive computer manufacturer, um, and turned those into, you know, the same kinds of things. Um, but I don't think that necessarily means that like Steve jobs is some kind of fucking genius. I just don't think it means that like his stuff matched up with, you know, he had a good intuitive sense for like, uh, for making products that uh, people wanted to buy a lot of the time and how to market them. Um, but he also had a bunch of shit that didn't work too. Like, I mean, he, he was all about the fucking G4 cube, you know, <laughs> nobody wanted to buy that turd. Um, uh, and, uh, you know, so I, I don't know, even, so I, I think that, I think it's just, it works out for some people in certain situations. So like the, the environment and your audience, uh, the potential market, I guess, what do you call it? That has at least as much to do with it. And as much as your execution, I mean, and uh, I think you're lucky if your uh, gut happens to match up with things. But um, my experience is that my gut is often just fucking wrong. <laughs> so uh, I don't really trust it that much. In fact, I know my brain tells tons of stuff that's totally fucking wrong and reacts the wrong way. So more power to you, man, if it always works out for you. Uh, but I don't know. I don't think it works that way for most people. Yeah, and I know that uh, Jeffrey and, and some of his other friends uh, online um, have said they do. Uh, some of them do a podcast about bootstrappers. So uh, you know, instead of the, the startup types that pour their own money into things instead of chasing VC money. So sure, yeah. I don't know. Um, I think that they said about uh, wanting to have me on sometime to talk to them. And I think that that's a conversation that get really ugly, really quick. Um, but we'll see. Maybe, I mean, maybe it'll be fun. Who knows? Well, it's so, possible to disagree with someone without getting in a fight, you know? Yeah, whatever. Okay. So let's go on to, <laughs> so let's, let's go on to our second last topic. Uh, so our um, friend of the show, um, mm -hmm. Jeremy Law. Is this a Jeremy? Oh my God. I'm going to feel bad if I got his name wrong. Man, you fucked it up pretty bad. Did I dude. Really? The yeah. slim guy. Our friend. Yeah. Isn't it Jeremy? It starts with a J, doesn't it? Boy, you're embarrassing yourself. I mean, I'm sure. embarrassing myself. That's Josh Lockhart. What Josh. Well, I knew it was Lockhart. I kept wanting to call him Jeremy Lockhart, but I knew it was Lockhart. I was just leaving um, you hanging out there. Yeah, I know. Thanks, buddy. No problem. Uh, yes, Josh. Uh, he wrote a book. Yes, um, he did. Stealing everything he can from PHP the right way and packaging it up and calling it modern PHP. Yep, that's pretty much it. Just copied and pasted. Yeah, copy and paste because you got to got to. No, no. I love those Creative Commons licenses. He, he uh, wrote this all from scratch, actually. So. Oh, I know. I'm just. Uh, he uh, well, and and uh, more importantly than him writing it was that I was one of the technical editors on the book. Sweet. Yep. Um, so uh, I and uh, who was the other fellow who did? And it was really good. You can hear the the pages. Oh, wow. You have an actual dead tree copy. Yeah. Uh, that's impressive. They were like, you can have dead tree copy or you can request electronic. And I'm like, well, if it's one or the other, I want the dead tree one because that's cool. You um, can request one as if they got to think about it. It's like, I edited the damn book. Where's my copy? Yeah, I don't. My God. one copy. Um, let's see here. Uh, who's the other guy? Uh, Adam Fairholm. Uh, I have heard of him. Who is at, at Adam Fairholm. I think uh, I've heard of this gentleman. And uh, he's a web developer at newfangled.com. And he worked on a popular music video database, IMVDB, uh, and then uh, some stuff. So, yeah, uh, so we both helped him out a bit with that. 
and uh, I think it's a really good book. Um, so uh, it's from O'Reilly. It's called Modern PHP: New Features and Good Practices. Uh, so hopefully PHP seven doesn't come out too soon because then it'll be immediately out of date. Um, <laughs> but uh, it's a good book, and one of the things I like about it is that there hasn't been, I think, a book like that sort of covers where PHP is right now, as opposed to, you know, where it was before. Uh, and at least I didn't know about a good book that I could point people to. I could point them to resources like PHP the right way or things like that. But uh, people have often asked about books and I'm like, uh, I don't know. When's that new edition of uh, PHP and MySQL web development? That's right. Shout out to Luke and Laura. Ca- yep. Keep cashing them checks, folks. Keep cashing yep. them checks. Yeah. So, uh, and that hasn't come out yet. Um, and so, uh, th- I think that this is a this is a really good book. It's not a beginner to PHP book, so it's something that for uh, somebody who already has experience developing PHP is going to want to get. But it really covers all the stuff that we use nowadays, like composer and it covers like, you know, uh, the fig standard stuff and, uh, you know, all sorts of junk here. Let me look at the dumb table of contents. That would probably be useful. Uh, the chapters are, uh, new PHP features like namespaces, traits, generators, closures, op cache, the build an HTTP server, and you got standards, so it's a bunch of stuff like PSR one, two, three, four. Um, breaking things down into components and why, how you name things with components. Basically, following the packages standards uh, or the yeah stuff for to how to put it on packages and things like that. Um, good practices like for passwords. Uh, filtering, validation, sanitization, stuff like that. Dates, databases, multi-byte strings. So, like, where we are now, as opposed to where we are in 2006. Then it even gets into, like, provisioning, uh, deployment stuff, testing. There's a, chapter 10 is all about testing and different approaches to that profiling. Chapter 12 is about HHVM and hack. And then 13 is community. And it's about, you know, local user groups, mentoring, stuff like that. So... It's really cool. I think he covers a lot of good stuff in it. And I think for people who have been doing PHP for a bit, but I think this could introduce them to a lot of stuff that's going on now, sort of like modern best practices that that they may not know about. So I think it's a good book. I uh, I really like it. And well, congr- a, well, congrats yeah. to Josh on a job well done. And I, and I, I guess one of the dangers of a, of a book like that is that it could potentially get... Um, um, outdated rather quickly, so let's oh, get will. our fingers crossed that it has some staying power. And then, yeah. I mean, maybe he'll be in a position to um, to be able to update this as um, as newer versions of the of uh, PHP. I think the next one will be postmodern PHP. <laughs> postmodern, post literate PHP, as I've started mm-hmm. as I've yeah. started uh, calling it, based on how some of it looks to me now. Yeah, right. Um, uh, so modern PHP. So yeah. So Josh, I want a copy too. So you better make it happen, buddy, for another show. All right. Yep. So the last thing we're going to talk about, because again, Ed is probably I can already tell Ed's getting punchy. Um, is uh, is uh, Dev Hell swag? We have stickers. Uh, but the thing I spoke, the thing I want to talk about the stickers is a uh, question I was uh, asking Ed was. Um, what are we going to do with the uh, Brinks trucks full of cash that will be rolling up to uh, Ed's place in Pawnee, Indiana, mm-hmm. yep. as a result of these sales? So I think what we're going to be doing is that we're going to be taking, because of course we've already paid for the stickers and everything. So um, we're going to be taking half the proceeds and donating them to Ed's Choice of uh, Mental Health uh, Charity, Association, Groups, whatever you want to call them. I was told ed i would be glad to see a big chunk of that money go and then maybe what we can do ed is as we update things maybe every couple of months we can do an update on how much money we've generated in donations because that way in all seriousness by the by the stickers help somebody out who's having some mental health issues i think uh, that's that's really a win-win and i know it has told me that allegedly my batch of stickers are on their way up here so i will i am Mm -hmm. uh, awaiting them to show up and i will be distributing them to people but um but yeah, so grab those stickers. Um, I know that my my laptop currently has no stickers on them, but um, I may be persuaded to um, 
add uh, add a dev hell sticker to it and i'll probably i keep meaning i keep forgetting to do it because it's really not a huge priority to me to get uh, some um grumpy learning stickers done of the, the picture of the drawing that uh, my favorite artist did of me and uh, my cat sitting in my lap while i'm hacking away on a hacking away on a laptop we'll see about getting that graphic turned into a sticker and uh, some stickers to give to people so ed i guess we've gotten to the end of this abbreviated edition of yeah. Development Hell Podcast, episode number 58. Ed, can you please thank our sponsors? Well, our sponsors are again this week. Wonder of Network uh, at uh, wondernetwork.com. I get, I don't know. Actually, I should probably look, look that up. Sing in the background while we're doing this. Yes, dot com. Yep. yep well, com. I'm just looking in the channel. It is. No, no, no. But we love you, Paul. You may hate Ed, but we love you. It's really. It's just not. You know. It should be. It should be Wonder Networks. You got to work on expanding your reach uh, globally, Paul. More than it's. It's the only network you need. Wonder Network, the only network you need. So they do, they do snapshots of what your site looks like on old cranky devices like Web TV mm-hmm. and uh, and the Palm Prey and uh, other awesome things. And then they, mm-hmm. also, yep. they also offer. Oh, this is interesting too. That Paul talked about this. We might as well talk about it really, really quick. Is that under because um, they offer a VPN service to people. So if you're traveling yes. someplace and you want your communications to be secure, um, you know, Wonder Proxy is a great thing. But if some people in the Canadian government have their way, VPNs could actually be illegal. Disgusting. Which would be uh, the which would just. I'm not even sure how you make that illegal. What? Make it illegal to run a VPN. So that's, that's all you do. That's boy, that's really fucking dumb. Uh, I, I agree. So thank you, Paul, for your uh, for your continued uh, continued support of the show, despite us making um, fun of you. If you manage to come to um, Tech PHP Tech in May. Uh, we may have you on the show again to talk to us. Uh, so our next Maybe. sponsor, Ed? Is uh, Rave. Uh, Rave uh, is one of the premier uh, promoters of dance parties, underground dance parties um, in the Pacific Northwest and Czechoslovakia. Is that still a country? No, it's, uh, you have to choose either Czech Republic or, the, or Slovakia. Oh God damn it! Are are, are raves marketing mater- are raves marketing material that out of date that that we haven't updated it because that the Czech Republic and Slovakia split off quite a long time ago. Yeah, I think they were having raves back in like probably the late eighties. So sure. yeah, I'd say that still works. Um, and uh, so what they do is uh, you take your uh. Commodore Amiga computer and uh, use a mod tracker and write some funky beats. And then uh, Rave will let you uh, bring a floppy to the show and you can then just play it there on their Amigas. Sweet. And then, yeah. And then also, we can't forget about the Rave Foundation, uh, which uh, a small part of it is sending people to PHP conferences who otherwise couldn't go. But most of it is about uh, sponsoring underprivileged children to go on a game show where uh, 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 viscous uh, materials are dumped on them while they run through an obstacle course. And that is, uh, those are our sponsors today. Tomorrow, the today, tomorrow, and forevermore. Uh, thank you very much to our sponsors. Without them, um, it makes doing this podcast uh, a little bit more expensive, despite what people think. This stuff that we do, it actually does cost us money. So we appreciate the long support that Paul has given to us and that the long-term support that Rove has been doing. And we hope that uh, um, people take a look uh, in the show notes and take a look at Rove Foundation. It's a very worthwhile cause to help um, people who other, as Ed mentioned, who otherwise couldn't attend PHP conferences, um, help them by, we will, uh, Rove intends to help provide some financial support, get tickets and help with accommodations and things like that. So we're trying to expand it and, and get it going. And um, this was all Gary Hawkins idea. So um, hats off to, uh, to GH for getting this thing going. So that's been it. So this has been another exciting episode of the Development Hell Podcast. As always, you can find uh, 
every single episode we've ever done on our website at devhell.info. Um, awesome uh, episode titles, timely graphics. Uh, uh, you can listen to every single episode that's ever been on there. Check out the show notes for everything. Um, we're also available via the RSS feed if you're too lazy to go to the actual website. Also, we're available on iTunes. If you do listen to us on iTunes, please, please, please rate the show. Um, let us know what's working and what's not working. You can find mm-hmm. uh, the podcast itself, although it's not a, a Twitter bot, although it could be fun. I should share with you the code that I'm using for my horse grumpy um, Twitter bot, and Dev Hell could do some very, could have some a lot of fun talking to people. Maybe I'll show you that stuff later, Ed. Oh, um, that's a good idea. Do. We could do a dev hell bot. Um, uh, it's a, available on Twitter at dev underscore hell. You can find me on Twitter as grumpy programmer without the U. You can find Ed on Twitter as Funkatron with the U. Uh, thanks so much for joining us. Thank you to everybody in IRC who helped me remember um, Josh's name. And we will t- be talking to you all soon. Good night, Internet.